Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Hi, family. I want God to meet with you. I want God to help you. I want good things for you and for your life. And So I'm going to bless you as we get going today. I bless you now in the name of Jesus that you would know Jesus more wonderfully today. I bless you to receive healing if you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit. I bless you to receive whatever guidance from God you need, whatever help from God you need. I bless you to flourish and prevail over whatever challenges you're facing in your life right now. And I bless you to feel hope and joy and love, and peace, whatever's going on. I bless you with that in the name of Jesus. May it be. Amen. How about if we start with a picture, like we have the last several weeks here. Psalm 33, verse 6 through 9. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord. And all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into the storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded... And it came into existence. Friends, today we're going to wrap up our our series on creation. This week we're going to look at the first six days of creation one last time. And then next week we're going to look at day seven. We're going to talk about rest. We're going to talk about the Sabbath of God. So we're going to, we're going to go there next week. But since the, since the beginning, we've been primarily focusing on these first six days of creating. And a few weeks ago, many weeks ago now, we took a survey as a church and we discovered we're not on the same page. We have a, lot, a wide variety of different thoughts and views when it comes to um, how to understand and how to read Genesis chapter 1. In fact, we're in, we're in very different places, and so since then, our main focus of our series, at least for the last many weeks, has revolved around a simple question. Has science proven that the straightforward testimony of the Bible, meaning that God created the heavens and the earth in six days, about 6,027 years ago, has science proven that that cannot be true? We looked at that. We looked at the study of geology, we looked at the study of of chronology, and we looked at biology, and we looked at astronomy, and we, we started looking at the facts behind the theories in very basic, basic ways, very basic uh, cursory looks at some of these fields of science. But we wanted to know, do 
uh, do these fields, do the science of these fields prove that Genesis 1 cannot be true as, as written? Are, are, there, are these theories out there more reliable than what we're reading in Genesis chapter 1? And what I tried to help you see, tried, Contrary to popular belief is that the science behind some of these theories, such as the earth being 4.543 billion years old, or life coming out of nothing, or uh, the, this, this theory of, of, a, of a big bang scientifically explaining all that we perceive in the universe, the science behind these things, there are some issues there. There are some flags there. There are some, there are some significant essential issues um, dealing with, with each of these theories, and, and my purpose wasn't to prove to you that the Bible is true as written and the science proves it. I did not set out for that. I did not set out for that. What, what I did set out, though, is I set, I set out to set you up for today. Because there's two questions that are so important to me. And these questions are so important to me that I will drag Rehope Church through the agony of science. Week after week, I will endure the glory of feedback. Week after week. Some great feedback, though, by the way. Lots of great feedback as well. But I will go through this. Why? Because these two questions are so important to me. So much more important to me than anything. I'm going to try and contain myself. I'm going to try and be suave, calm, smooth. But I am very passionate about these, these two questions. And I, I've been setting us up uh, for, for, for these, these questions today. The first question is this. I'll try this picture. The Bible. Are you above it or are you below it? What's your posture when you come to the Bible? Are you above it or are you below it? Are you above it? Meaning, are you the one, are you the evaluator? Are you the one coming to the Bible, evaluating it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, based on what you think is right or wrong or true or false or accurate or, or inaccurate or good or bad, moral or immoral? I, I hear a lot of thoughts of people evaluating the Bible, oh, this is immoral or this isn't historically accurate. Are you, are you above the Bible or are you positioning yourself below the Bible, under the Bible, saying, if what the Bible says is different than what I tend to think, well, then I'm going to shift. I'm going to come under the Bible, and I will change. I believe that this is one of the most important questions that we need to grapple with in our lives. What is your position and your role with the Bible? For me, you know where I am. I am all in on being under the Bible. I believe, it, it, my, my stance is, God's written words are more trustworthy to me than my thoughts, than my feelings, than my values, than my opinions. Now that's a big statement. I believe 
God's thoughts are above my thoughts. I believe God's perspective is better than my perspective on everything. On everything. I believe that God's written words are more trustworthy to me than my thoughts, than my feelings, than my values, than my opinions. That my role is to be an ambassador of the word of God, not its editor. I am to be the ambassador. This is what it says, not the editor. Here's my editorial commentary on each bit of it all. When it comes to Genesis 1, I read it and I conclude, that's great. Awesome. Now I know what to say. And this has not been a problem for for most of the history of time. The Jewish people and and then ultimately the Christians as they came along, for the most part, they did not struggle with Genesis chapter 1 like you do today. They didn't struggle with it because their view of God and what he could do was big enough for it to be just as written. And their view of the Bible and how reliable it is was trustworthy enough. So they didn't, they didn't struggle like, like we do today. But we have a generation that says, don't trust it. Trust your own thinking more. Your feelings are so much more important than God's word. What you think is right and wrong, so much, so much more important. It's not just thinking out there. I had a conversation with a woman who does not go to our church, and I'm glad that she doesn't go to our church so I can just talk freely. So she doesn't go to our church, and she was telling me just a few months ago that it doesn't matter, Brian, it doesn't matter if Genesis chapter 1 is true. All that matters is Jesus. That's what she said. And I I know that there's people who think of all that matters is Jesus. All that matters is our salvation. All that matters is believing him. She said it doesn't matter if there was an Adam or an Eve. That that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Moses was real or not, or the Exodus actually happened. Brent, you really believe that they were slaves and then got a Red Sea parting, east, what? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Brought him into the promised land, miracles after miracles, these Old Testament miracles. It doesn't matter if they're true. David, probably not a real person in their opinion. Like, hmm, okay. so, it just, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter if you, and Jesus, you know, probably a lot of that stuff happened. Like, a lot of this stuff, yeah, probably a lot of this stuff happened, but it doesn't matter if it's true in this person's um, opinion. All that matters is that we believe that Jesus was real, and he died, and he was buried, and he was raised a new life, and if we believe in him, we can be saved. All the rest doesn't matter, and I'm just like, what? What the evil? I mean, that thinking is... Straight from the slimy one, right? Straight from the, the evil one. This is Satan 101 wanting to undermine the reliability of, of God's word with these slippery, saintly sounding words that are the words of a serpent. When it comes to being above the Bible or below the Bible, this woman was not just the editor, she was like the, the slaughterer. Nope, 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 nope. I don't know anyone in our church who has such an extreme view. They're probably not going to raise their hand at this point. (laughs) But if there ever was a place in the Bible, though, where we're most prone to that sort of thinking, it's going to be in the first couple chapters of the Bible. From chapter 11 earlier, uh, the most likely place to to become an editor is the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And, and uh, if you have chosen to believe that the first chapter of the Bible isn't historically true, 
uh, there's a very important question that you need to hold on to. Why? You better be really solid on that one. Like really solid. Not just having an explanation. You better be right on that one. Why don't you think? Is it, is it because your mind, all 8% that we use, that, that, that our mind, our thinking, our training is more reliable than the, than the eternal word of God? Okay, okay, oh, well, okay. Uh, maybe you've heard different theories that the early chapters of Genesis are written in a, an ancient myth style common in the Middle East. Fact check that one. I just keep calling you to fact check that one because there is not anything in the Bible. There's nothing in Genesis. There's nothing in anywhere in the Bible that hints that the early chapters aren't true as written. And there's no literary shift. And this is important. And this is why the other woman said what she said because there is no literary shift from the early chapters of Genesis to the rest of the Bible. Meaning that, it, meaning that there's nothing that's different in the text from Genesis 1 to 11 to the rest of the book of Genesis. There's nothing different from the early chapters of Genesis to the book of Exodus or the book of Samuel or the book of Chronicles or Matthew or Mark or Luke or John or Acts. Actually, I have a lot of respect for that woman. Because she understands that if, if you're if you're not if you're not going to stand on the early chapters, you really don't have much to stand on for the rest, literarily speaking, other than it's just your opinion where you draw the line. Because linguistically, literarily, there isn't there isn't that flag. Now, there's so many lies out there, guys, when it comes to the Word of God, and I, I say this with a with a very passionate heart. I have had a secret prayer for our church. Uh, in the mornings, Sunday mornings, I'll be waking up and throughout the week I'll be praying uh, about this. And I will be praying the words from 2 Corinthians 10.5 over us all. And over this, this whole series. And the words of 2, Chronicles, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Paul says, We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. We demolish arguments and every proud thing. That's raised up against the knowledge of God. And I have <clears throat> anchored on this in my prayers for us. God, is there anything in any of our hearts that is uh, raised up against the knowledge of you? Well, the knowledge of you. <clears throat> and to me, the knowledge of God is most seen in his word, in creation, and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the three places where I believe the knowledge of God is, is most, most seen. And so if there's lies or arguments that are clouding that, then I want them abolished. Is that the word? Abolished. We demolished. Demolished. Uh, in the name of Jesus. And everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. <clears throat> I'm going to drop some Job on us. This is an impulse drop. Didn't make my notes. I've moved it all around. I'm going to try it here and see how it feels. I can always fix it for the evening. <clears throat> Job's thinking pretty highly of himself here by the end of the book of Job. He's, he's let God know exactly how off he is. <clears throat> and, and this was God's response to Job who seems to know so much. 38, verse 2. Who... Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. 
you will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundation? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning songs uh, sang together and all the sons of God shouted for for joy. Where were you? Who, Who are you? Who is this? Sometimes we think very, very highly of our perspective. Well, that was fun. That was for free. What I want to do now is I want to... Claudio, can you bring me my water right there just so I don't choke over the next bit here? Thank you. Thanks, bro. Uh, So what I want to do is I want to, for one last time, I want to blaze through chapter 1 of Genesis here. And I want to invite you to do something crazy. I want all of you to look at this chapter through my eyes. Through, through, as if, as someone who is like, yes, I believe it's true as written. And I just want to make a few comments as we go through this quickly. And I want you to just see what I see from my perspective. See how that goes. <clears throat> Here's how it starts. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created... The heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now some here, uh, making an observation, some here put a multi-billion year gap between verse 1 and verse 2. I don't do that for two reasons. One, there's nothing in the Bible that hints at it. Secondly, it doesn't help your science. That's the reason why you would want to put billions of years here, but it doesn't help your science to put a gap here. It may feel like putting billions of years fixes some of the time-old earth challenges, but you're putting billions of years, a gap, and that's before there's dry land. That's before there is stars. It's not going to help you to put it just here with the science challenges. So because it, because it's, it doesn't help and it, it's, there's no hint at it, I, I just keep reading. What else do I see here? I see before the creating work, there's something raw. Earth is existing before what we call day one of creation. It's tohu vavohu. It's formless and void. It's wild and waste. It's a water-covered planet. It's chaos. And the Holy Spirit is there. I keep reading. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was an evening and there was a morning, day one. Here I see that light exists before the sun. No issue at all. At the end of the Bible, that's also where it is. Uh, in, In Revelation 21, this is where we're going, friends. It says the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. There's no need for a sun for there to be light. I mean, our, our planet is full of light sources that aren't, that aren't uh, the sun or the moon. Some would say, how is it that there is no, how can you have a 24-hour day if there's no sun? 
I mean, you're, Brian, you're talking about 24-hour day. How can you have a 24-hour day if, if there's no, no, no sun? The, the 24 hours is, is connected to the sun and the sky. And I'm just like, that's not good science. The 24-hour day is based on the rotation of the earth, not the sun and the sky. You can see it's rotating because of the sun and the sky, but 24 hours is based on an earth rotation, right? It's not, you can have 24 hours without, without a sun. Um, we live in Glasgow. We should know that by now. Plus, their evening and morning articles here, they're, they're definitely pointing to 24-hour days. Uh, the Bible also says that the way that God separated light and darkness here does reflect what we are experiencing. That there is a darkness time, which he called night, and there is a light time, which he called day. So it's, there, is, there is a sense of light and dark and day and night, evening and morning. However, God separated it in the beginning. That's what I see. What else do I see? Well, then, verse 6, then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating from, uh, water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And it was so. God called this expanse sky. Evening came and then morning the second day. Still, only a water planet two days in. Water planet only. Verse 9, then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the water he called seas. God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed bearing plants according to their kinds, and tree bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning the third day. I've already made my observations about plants before the sun, and how this is to me a major deal breaker when it comes to the day-age theory. That, that many Christians want to hold on to. And, and I, I totally understand the day-age theory, and, and, and I, I hold people who are, are trying to hold on to that in high regard because in the very least, they are trying to put themselves under the word of God. They're, they're like, okay, God, put it, God created things in this, and I, I put myself under, under the word of God. But the, 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 the challenge here is that it just doesn't work. And it says, I want to put it under the word of God, but I want to spread out the time so that I can kind of hold on to the science that I've been taught over a long period of time. It's, it's just out of order. It's, it, it's, it doesn't work. You can't have plants evolving photosynthesis without a sun yet. And, and also, the, the, the idea of dry land considered older than the stars and the distant galaxies, it's also a bit of a challenge. You've got an order problem. You've got an order problem. You try and match them together, and they just don't work, science or the Bible. Uh, Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They, They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, and it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness, and God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning the fourth day. Why did God make the sun? 
and the moon. To serve as signs. To serve as signs for days and years. As I said before, technically a 24-hour day is the earth's rotation, but now we get to know what's going on. We got a sign that helps us. There's a sun in the, in the sky that, that is a marker for the days, not a maker of the days. There's a difference. The sun and the moon are for marking times and seasons. So you have, the, you have the sun marking the seasons with winter and spring and summer and autumn. The moon in ancient times marked the months and then the lunar calendar year. Uh, we currently follow the, the sun calendar year, but to, to mark the seasons, markers, not makers. Then God said, let the water swim with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and the, every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, and then morning, the fifth day. You're like, life, finally. Then more life. Verse 24. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock. Creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man or humanity in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. When I read that, the straightforward claim of the Bible is very different than evolutionary theory. Very different. Evolutionary theory has all living things coming from single cells, uh, evolving, multiplying into different animals and, and, and things, and ultimately people over a long period of process, millions, billions of years, millions of life and death cycles, uh, of, of life and death cycles. You're like, God could have done it this way. Yeah, he totally could have done it this way. But he didn't. He told you how he did it. And he said it right here. This is how he did it. And you know what? He, did, he says very clearly he didn't make people out of monkeys. What does the Bible tell you he made you out of? Dirt. He says he made you out of dirt. Mm, I don't think so. I think monkeys. Like who? What? He tells you. Anyways, that's, that's, that's just for fun. Verse, the chapter ends with this verse. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, then morning, the sixth day. At this point, there's no death, and that's important. At this point, everything is very good after all six days of the creating are done. Now, I told you that there was two questions that were very important to me. The first one was the Bible, and are we above it or are we below it? Here is the second question that is so important to me. This is the question. 
Does it really matter? Does it really matter if it's true? Does it really matter if chapter 1 is true as written? Does it really actually matter? Some people would say that all that matters, Brian, is the gospel of Jesus the, the historicity, which is a word, look it up. The historicity of Genesis chapter 1 is very much not an important thing. It is such a secondarily thing. It's such a, it's such a non-issue. It's not that important. To that I say, if the gospel is that important, then you need Genesis 1 to be true as written. Because the gospel of Jesus is this. The gospel is the triumph of Jesus over sin and death. The gospel is the triumph of Jesus over sin and death. And according to the Bible, there wasn't death in all of those six days of creating. And according to the Bible, it happens in chapter 3, and it's connected to Adam and Eve. And that's not just a Genesis claim, that is the entirety of the Bible's claim. That this is one of the most central things about Jesus' work, always going back to uh, Adam and Eve. That sin brought about death. That death didn't exist before sin. It started with Adam. You start messing around with taking, making death an issue disconnected from sin, you're getting theology problems all over the Bible. Everything, the whole gospel starts falling apart because the Bible puts sin and death as, as, a, as an issue that Jesus has come to make right, to fix, to, to restore, to, to renew. If you have billions of years or millions of years or life-death cycles, you're wrecking the gospel. You're wrecking the whole message of Jesus. And you're like, Brian, that seems like an overstatement. No, that is an understatement. That is an understatement. It is the, 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 the place of death and sin is the, so central to everything about Jesus. You can't just crassly just add in, oh, and then there's billions of years of death and not have an impact on everything. The enemy wants you to think it's no big deal. It's a huge deal. It's central. The gospel is God created it all. And it was good, and it was very good and perfect, and there was everything living was there, and it was good. There was no death, but then people sinned and disobeyed God. And now we need a Savior. Who sinned? Monkeys. No. Adam, a human, and this human sinned, and so God had to send his son Jesus as a human to make the problem made by the first Adam right by bringing a second Adam named Jesus. To, to restore all things. This is not just something that I'm passionate about. This is something Paul's passionate about. And he talks about it in Romans chapter 5. He says this in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. This is the theology of the Bible. Cover to cover. You can't take death away from sin and have the message of the Bible fitting together at all. You're blowing it up. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. And you can go back and keep reading all of, all of chapter 5 of Romans from 12, verse 12 on, just skipping down to the end of it, um, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also will 
grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You have a connection all through the Bible between the sin of Adam and the consequence of death and then Jesus' work of fixing that for our future of eternal life in Jesus. You can't have death before Adam. You can't have billions of life cycles and death cycles before Adam. Sin brings in death and that's what Jesus came to, to, to triumph over, to fix, to restore. Some people might say, Brian, it doesn't matter if that past event is the creation story is literally true. And I'd say, you're literally wrong. Because the literal past is connected to the literal future, not in my opinion, but in the Bible. If you don't think this is true, how can you believe that this is true? Eternity is connected to creation. Cover... Page one of the Bible is connected to the end of the Bible and Revelation. It's one story, and it's, it's not just a nice story arc. The, 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 the mission of Jesus was to abolish sin and death, and the last enemy is death. This is straight from 1 Corinthians 15. It says, the last enemy to be abolished is death. And I want you to see this because I, I want to just fix one little potential error here. In, in Revelation chapter 20, Satan is finally thrown in the lake of fire, end of his story, um, as it interferes with us, long time of torment for him. Then the, death are, the dead are raised, then finally death is thrown into the lake of fire, and finally destroyed. After Satan is thrown in the lake of fire, the last enemy is death to, to, to be destroyed, abolished by Jesus. The, the, the story of Jesus is not merely Jesus' victory over evil. It's not merely his victory over Satan and, and, the, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's the triumph of Jesus over sin and death which came from Adam and not before and was, was overcome by Jesus and no one else for all who believe. What I want you to see, it's not a small thing to edit the first chapter of the Bible. It's not, a, it's not a small thing to just say, oh, if I just add in a billion years here or add a little bit of my own thoughts on how this all came about there, it, it's not a small thing to, to edit the first chapter of the Bible. You, you might think that it helps you with your intellectual challenges in, in whatever field of science you spend a lot of time thinking about it, but the reality is you edit the first chapter and you're imploding the whole book. The whole story of Jesus. The whole, the whole gospel. The, the work of Jesus is connected. The whole saving work of Jesus and our eternity with God is totally connected to every page of the Bible. Don't be so quick to, to, to edit things. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's clear that it's referring to six 24-hour days not so long ago. And God says it's very good and there was no death at that point. It also says about our future, there's no death in our future. 
that, that we are, we're going to receive grace and forgiveness from the sin, and we get to receive eternal life from God forever. It's part of this great news, this great hope that we get to, we get to look forward to that future day of grace and forever goodness with God. Does it matter if it's true? Genesis 1. Does it matter if it's true? If the gospel matters, then yes. If the eternal life thing matters, overcoming sin and death, then, then yes, it, it does matter. The facts of the past are connected to the facts of the future. To me, this whole study isn't about young earth, old earth stuff. It's not about that to me. It's not about young earth, old earth. This whole study, this, the whole reason I have agitated you week after week uh, after week and, and why, why, why more people have gotten up and walked out during the teaching than, than, than any point in all of Rehope history, which is quite marvelous, actually. I'll, uh, that's fine. Uh, but the, the way that it's been so irritating, it's not about young earth, old earth. It's about something much bigger than that to me. It's about the reliability of the Bible and the whole gospel of Jesus in its entirety. That's why I'll stand on it. That's why I will stand on it by myself. That's why I will champion it week after week after week. It's that important to me. All of this is so important to me. So I stand on chapter one. That's why I stand on chapter one and I invite you as your challenge for this week to rethink everything. That's all. To rethink everything. And I want to invite you to join me. To just be like, you know what? By faith, I believe the universe was formed. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, by, by the word of God. Out of nothing. No, no challenge for today other than that. Or other than that little thing. Let, let me pray for us. Jesus, I love your word. I love your word, Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful for, for your work in, in watching over its, its editing. You did that, and you preserved it through the ages, and you brought it down to our generation, and I praise you for that. Uh, the, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I will stand alone on the word of God. And, and God, I just pray that you would rise up a generation fiery, passionate for your word, who are all in, believing it, uh, cover to cover, and who love your gospel so much, they will look, they will join me in looking like fools for you. I love you. I love this whole thing. In Jesus' name, amen.